Welcome to the first episode of the C.L. Brown Show, and thank you for stopping by to give it a listen. I am your host, C.L. Brown, a sports columnist with the Louisville Courier-Journal. I hope at the end of my 30 minutes every week, you will leave it both entertained and educated through interviews with guests that range from national sports figures to those with local ties like to the universities of Louisville and Kentucky. This episode will feature an interview with the head coach of Louisville football, Jeff Brom. But first up, a little segment I call CL Sounds Off. Many coaches and administrators in college sports are begging that name, image, and likeness policy be reined in right now. There's tampering going on from opposing schools. There are states that have passed legislation specifically to bypass NCAA regulations to give their hometown schools an edge. The SEC, including UK coaches John Calipari and Mark Stoops and athletic director Mitch Barnhart, flew out to Washington, D.C. earlier this summer to lobby for such legislation. And now we're starting to see some movement towards that end. There have been a couple of federal legislation uh, proposals, some bills regarding NIL in college sports, and two in particular have been floated out uh, within the last week and a half, and a third is on the way. And while I've seen some positive elements in these bills, like guaranteeing scholarships and a process to certify agents, there are far too many oppressive points created by senators who seem to be operating from an antiquated view of treating college athletes like amateurs. The bill co-sponsored by former Auburn coach turned Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville and West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin has a provision to make revenue sharing illegal, or at least laws that establish it illegal, uh, like they're trying to head off the uh, possibility of the future of college athletes being paid as employees. And it's funny to me, like I hear the same folks who like to talk about small government, all of a sudden want the government all up in the pockets of college athletes. It's hypocritical. The NCAA gets blamed for putting itself in this predicament, though, don't get me wrong. When NIL was on the horizon, instead of coming up with a policy that could have corralled all of its members from the start, the NCAA put its head in the sand and tried to act like it was not going to come to fruition. Well, it's here now. The NCAA does have the authority right now to make its schools adhere to an NIL policy from Division One on down. It's time the organization finds the gumption to get its members in line. Texas is one of those states with NIL laws to skirt NCAA rules. So if a school in the Longhorn State wants to get cute and cite its state laws while breaking NCAA rules, then the organization needs to come down hard with postseason bans and recruiting penalties. And of course, be prepared to settle all of this in litigation because they would get sued. But I think the last thing the NCAA needs right now is more outsiders making rules. Monitoring NIL needs to stay in-house. As for all those bills, yes, they're only just bills and they live on top of Capitol Hill. I hope and pray that they will remain and still stay as bills. Shout out to Schoolhouse Rock and my listeners who grew up on ABC Saturday morning cartoons. Now, let's move on to talk Louisville football. 
My first guest is Chip Patterson, who covers college football for CBS Sports. Well, let's dive right in. You were uh, in Charlotte for ACC kickoff last week. What was your initial impression? Or what, what's kind of, I want to see the bird's eye view from a national perspective of Jeff Brom returning to coach at his alma mater. Well, I think I can start with the thing that um, took me aback because I'd been, you know, writing a little bit about, you know, lots of different things that I'm sure we'll get to that are shaping up for this to be a really special season for Jeff Brom and Louisville football. You know, the, the, the way that he was able to make his return home, which didn't have to be as messy, like, like Sat almost did a favor to Louisville, right? He exits <laughs> stage left. We got no buyout. We got no hard feelings. And it like clears the way uh, for the big return home for, you know, Louisville's native son. Um, and like he mentioned something that stood out to me where he said, I don't want to let these people down. Oh, yeah. And it, you know when we talk about the positives, the positives that come with, oh, the local community is going to be in behind him, the investment that you're going to get, like the ability to generate resources from people that love this man. I was like, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. And I never put myself in Jeff Brom's shoes of like, uh, man, all these people who I love believe in me and they expect wins. And my job is going to be to take all of these resources, all of this investment and go make it happen. And like, this is still power five football, you know, like yeah, he's, yeah. he knows that this is going to be really tough and there's going to be setbacks. And he talked about, you know, getting knocked down a lot during his time at Purdue and trying to get a team that's going to be able to get back up after being knocked down. And, uh, you know, he mentioned it in the big room. He mentioned it some in the breakout room too. Just the fact that Jeff Brom and all these things that I, as an outsider had been like, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. That Jeff Brom, because of his connection to the community, feels a lot of pressure to be successful right away. And like there is the recruiting impact that comes as a part of this too. And you mm -hmm. want to be able to hit the ground running in modern college football. No one gives you a year zero anymore. But yeah. I, I thought that all of the the local magical sort of ties that I had thought were all going to be good. It's like, man, but that also puts a lot of weight on his shoulders as well. Weight that I'm sure he feels every single day moving around uh, the city. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting too, that, um, He's the first coach. I, I, I mean, I might have to go back to like Snellenberger or something. I just feel like he's the first coach at Louisville, uh, certainly in my time in the city, who without a doubt wants to be there. And there's mm. nothing like this is not a stepping stone. There's nothing else on the horizon, you know, for Jeff Brown right now. Now, no telling with if he has some crazy success or whatever, if some bigger school might come calling and, and he might be tempted to go after a long tenure or something. That's one thing. But, but from day one, no one is Louisville thinking is thinking, okay, we're going to have him for four or five years. And he might, if he's good, he might go on somewhere else. This is like, this is our guy. And, you know, they're, they're rallying behind that. So uh, you kind of alluded to it, but you know, there's certainly been a lot of focus on the transfers, uh, Brom has brought with him. Um, is there a comparable example of a school that's that's had success with so many transfers in one class? Two uh, come to mind, both in the SEC. Um, Brian Kelly's first team at LSU was loaded up with transfers, and I mean, I think he because you know Louisville's got twenty five, um, and. I think that LSU was around 22 or 23 last year. 
And, you know, he, Brian Kelly even was talking about it um, at the SEC media days. He said, look, like, I understand that's a red flag a lot of times when you're seeing that many transfers. You know, that is, you know, something that we don't want to have to do forever. But what did LSU do last year? Beat Alabama, won the SEC West and played for an SEC championship, right? So he brought in more than almost two dozen guys, but they were the right guys. They addressed the needs that they had. They were the right kind of guys so that they could gel and get better even after, you know, soiling themselves against Florida State and that dumb opener that they had. (laughs) But like, you know, that was one. The other one also in the SEC, Ole Miss brought in a whole ton of guys and they didn't finish the season well. But they started, what, like 8-0, jumped yeah. up to number 10 in the country. Like, it was a really strong start. They had about 23 or 24 transfers as well. So, like, we – it's so cool because, like, I know I know we're just focusing on Louisville, but, like, Florida State has been doing this for, like, two years now. Like, they're a couple cycles in. Like, that is a roster that's been built by the transfer portal, and they're mm-hmm. expected to compete for an ACC championship. So, with the one-time transfer rule, you know, with everything that's going on, it's really interesting to see – the different approaches to roster construction and you know some of it especially after a coaching transition your hand is forced you've got this tool to be able to make your roster better i think you'd be silly not to at least explore those opportunities yeah well uh, if you can just pick out one person aside from obviously the quarterback uh probably should make the biggest impact out of this group but uh what transfer do you see having making the impact aside from jack plummer Oh, Jamari Thrash, um, Thrash, wide receiver out of uh, Georgia State. With right? the sweet name. I love that last <laughs> name. Yeah, but like he was um, he was like one of the top wide receiver talents in the transfer portal. Like if you wanted to get better at wide receiver, he was someone who was, you know, out and about like a lot of people were interested in him and he ends up going to Louisville. Like that's a really good sign for, you know, Jeff Brom and his staff. I mean, I guess it must be nice, CL, that when he's recruiting a wide receiver, he's like, have you heard of Rondell Moore? Have you heard of David Bell? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, have, have you, did you see what Charlie Jones did? We, we got that guy out of Iowa and saved his life last year. Like his <laughs> ability to like recruit, develop wide receivers, put them in a position to be successful. I'm sure that was part of the equation. The other one, and I get this, isn't it Kevin Coleman? Because Keon yeah. Coleman's the transfer from Michigan State who went to Florida State. Kevin Coleman's the one from Jackson State, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm that's so that's where it's like we got a new quarterback, we got two wide receivers. I, I know Thrash will start, and I just assume that because it's a Brahm offense, you know, three, four wide receivers all have get like a lot of touches or good looks at it. And so the the passing game enhanced by the transfer portal, you know, that's something that really interests me. Those are the ones that stand out. Yeah. So. Uh... When you mentioned LSU and the amount of transfers they had and everything and end up playing um uh playing in the SEC title game, is now the time for Louisville since the ACC got rid of divisions um that they could find themselves playing in that ACC championship game for the first time since joining the conference? Dude, they are in a fascinating position because with their three primary partners and the five and five rotation schedule, that means that there is going to be on alternating years, an easy schedule and a hard schedule Hmm. until they mix it up or shake it up. Because, you know, we're sitting here looking at Louisville. We're like, man, they don't play Clemson. They don't play Florida state. They don't even have to mess around with Drake may in North Carolina. 
And while Drake May will be gone, that means that next year, Clemson and Florida State are back on the schedule. (laughs) You know, it's like 2023 and 2025 are the years to get it because then you're going to find yourself with those tougher games in the in-between. Maybe the ACC mixes that up, but I mean, this is the year for them to be able to stack a lot of success. You know, when you think about the teams that are projected to be at the bottom of the conference, a lot of them are on Louisville's conference schedule. And then like, this is the other thing that tickles me because so Georgia Tech loses a home game essentially with that game being moved to the big body bins in Atlanta. Like that's an easy Delta flight from Louisville, like no sponsors here. I don't don't know if like. And and an easy drive too. A lot of people. Well, the easiest drive is then to Indianapolis. Yeah. yeah. Indiana. (laughs) And it's like talking about the Falcon stadium and the Colt stadium. And so I just imagine that if I'm a, a diehard Louisville football fan who is so excited about Jeff Brom, seven home games and two neutral sites that I can drive to. I've got nine opportunities to be able to go and like bring that energy and that environment and that excitement to a Louisville football game. Only three true road games. Like I, I think that this is a, a, again, like a really special opportunity for them to have the kind of instant success that then they take to the recruiting trail and like continue to try to stack talent in a way that, when those tough years come up in 2024 and then in 2026 and Clemson and Florida state are back on the schedule, you, you're at least not worried about it. Um, you know, really reckon what you want to do in a season. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I usually don't make bold predictions, Chip, but I, I, I wrote a column saying that uh, Louisville will be in the ACC title game. And a lot oh. of it has to do with that favorable schedule. So we'll, We'll certainly see how that plays out. I think if nothing else, they have a chance early on in the schedule just to build some momentum, to get some mm-hmm. confidence, to work out the kinks early on before they have their tougher games. So, uh, and on paper, I mean, the toughest games are going to be at NC State and at Pittsburgh, uh, maybe at Miami. I've gotten to the point where I just will refuse to talk about Miami in the preseason. Because so many years I've been thinking, well, this is the year they're going to get back to, to to really playing at a high level, and it hasn't happened. So I refuse to do it. Yeah, they got to get. Um, Miami is still one more recruiting class away from me being about ready to go. Because um, on defense, they're going to be really tough for for Louisville. I, they got like pros on the front and the back of that defense. But I still think they're kind of uh, replacement level ACC quality at like wide receiver and a few other spots. The depth is a little shaky. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to let you go on this last question. Um, where do you see the cards finishing in the league standings when all is said and done? Or or, or if you just want to give me a number of wins on this season, where, how, how do you feel like uh, where do you feel like the cards are going to shake out? I've got them nine and three overall, six and two in conference play. I do think that those three true road games are against quality teams that, yeah. you know, you got to think that it's going to be tough to be able to win all three or even to be able to win two out of three. I think that Notre Dame is probably a better team, you know, so that's oh, where yes. you end up getting tripped up in the non-con to get there. But I mean, Vegas win total is at eight, right? And yeah. This is what I've been saying on our like podcast is I'll tell you what's not going to happen. Not with this schedule. They're not going seven and five. All right. So <laughs> if you get in there and you bet the over on eight, that means that it's if it's nine and three, like I'm predicting you win. But if it's eight and four, you push, you know, yeah. you just 
end up uh, end up getting your money back. So I see this being a successful season. I mean, like he is um, just a really phenomenal offensive coach, and I think he's got pieces to be able to um, get things together. And he noted this week that uh, that you know the defense got better as they went on. I mean, the bones of this team are all right, man. They were a bold yeah. team last year. It's not like he's taken over a disaster. Yeah. So I uh, give me put me down for nine and three. Well, I, I think uh, most people would take that. That's the, That sounds like a heck of a year. So this is excellent. I, I appreciate you joining me. You are officially the first guest on the CL Brown podcast. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. That is Chip Patterson. If uh, you uh, check out his work at CBS.com, he's got the ACC covered as well as uh, national the national football scene. And the voice you're going to hear up next is going to be University of Louisville head coach Jeff Brom. Okay. Um, so first, I want to start off with how different is being a college football coach now than when you first, you know, were the quarterbacks coach back in 03 at Louisville? Well, I think today in college athletics, uh, you know, it's a player's world. And, uh, you know, so you've got to figure out a way to. Uh, keep your same discipline and toughness uh, and attention to detail, but also relate with the players, uh, you know, develop relationships with them on the field, off the field, uh, keep them communicated on how their progress is going, uh, you know, figure out ways to be invested in what's going on in their life off the field. I just think all those things matter to today's youth, and if they know that you're investing in them as a person, then they're definitely going to play hard for you uh, when you're their coach. Now, kind of speaking of that, has it has it made you step out of your comfort zone knowing that you know for recruiting now, like you guys have have to have a social media presence, things like that, things that you know the Top Gun video, things that you probably wouldn't have been doing, you know, even five, ten years ago. Well, you are correct. It, it does. Uh, you know, encourage you to be way more active um, in and getting around your players, getting to know them, getting to know what makes them tick, uh, being a little more hip and up to date on what uh, you know drives them, what they're interested in, uh, and I think that's actually a good thing. I do think uh, you know coaching at some point got to a degree where there was so much separation from a head coach and assistant, the player that really you don't want that. You want uh, you know people to know that we're all in this together. Uh, there's not one component more important than the other. It's going to take everybody doing their part and if we can gel this thing together while still keeping the work ethic and the toughness and the integrity that in the end good things can happen that way but yes we have to be adaptable how much uh, more prepared or how much better do you feel now as a head coach as opposed to 2014 you taking over western kentucky well i feel quite a bit more prepared and battle tested and <clears throat> knowing what's worked and what hasn't worked at the same time i'm not gonna lie internally i'm always scared we're gonna lose i think that's what helps you drive to put in the work to want to go you know watch more film and to practice more and to look at things more because you're scared you're going to lose. Uh, to me, if, you can, if you're too confident early on, you're not going to work as hard. Now, once you get the game day, you got to get that confidence back. But in the meantime, um, you know, fear of failure is always a drive to me. And uh, you have to use that to, um, you know, uh, force the issue to cause you to put in that extra work so that at least when the game's over, you can look in the mirror and say, Man, I don't know what else I could have done. 
and then you just learn from it and move on. Yeah, now, technically, the last time you were a head coach in Louisville was in 02 with the Louisville Fire oh, yeah. Arena 2 <laughs> League. Are there any aspects, uh, offensively speaking, from you know that fast pace of arena football that, that you actually have in your offense right now? Is there anything kind of what? I would say maybe a little bit. You know, it is a different game. It's a smaller field. Uh, there are different rules. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, when you're in Arena 2, you've got guys that are, have jobs and are just coming over at night to play, and the roster is changing drastically. So it was different. It was my first year coaching. So, but I'll use it as a learning uh, element. And, uh, but it is a different game. But I, I do think any experience you have is valuable. So, you know, I enjoyed uh, uh, being here in the hometown and going out to Freedom Hall and playing some football, but it was a it was a different game with almost a different roster every week, it seemed like. Yeah, this is just out of curiosity. How many plays would you say you have in your playbook? Well, as far as us, we do a lot of things on offense. Um, we push the envelope on, uh, I believe you can challenge your plays to, excuse me, your players to learn and they want to grow and they want to be able to do more than just a few basic things. So we'll have base stuff we do that we feel good about, but we will have different avenues that we branch off to. And I think it'll be different uh, uh, that you can pull uh, for different games. Because I do think, you know, when you prepare for good football teams, you've got to be really good at what you do. But there's got to be at least 10 to 15 percent of something that they haven't seen, that they haven't prepared for, to give you an edge. Uh, so I think it's important to do that. Uh, it's helped us win football games that maybe we weren't supposed to win. Uh, as a player, when you go into game, you know that you got 10 to 15 percent. If you just learn correctly, that's different that they haven't seen. It gives you uh, some hope and some optimism that you know what we're going to get them on this. They haven't seen it before. And then when it does, it, it, it provides excitement, and it has helped us win football games. So we, we probably err on having more bullets in the holster than others. Yeah. And as a former quarterback, how tough is it? How tough are you on your quarterbacks? Well, I used to be really tough on them. Uh, and my brother's our quarterback coach, offense coordinator. He's very calm and poised, and he does it the right way. Uh, me, I can, I can get on edge quite a bit. Uh, but... Uh, I've gotten better at it. Uh, I pray about it for every game that I'm calm and that I don't use a bunch of four-letter words and that I'm very respectful. But at the same time, I do want our quarterbacks to know that, hey, I'm here to help us win. And uh, if I need to be intense, I'm going to be intense. If our other players need to see the head coach being intense, I'm going to be intense. And I just think, um, you know, that needs to be displayed some, but in a very respectful way. Um. As an offensive mind, I've, I've seen other head coaches who had offensive backgrounds, uh, I don't want to use the word neglect, but they, they don't spend as much time with the defense. Everything they do, even as the head coach, is still offensive minded. How much, what's the balance like for you in terms of when you have to dip your, your toe into what the defense is doing? Well, I've, I've changed my stance on that as a head coach and I've grown. You know, I used to be pretty hands-off and uh, you know, allow those guys to kind of take the range and run with it. Um, I had a couple negative experiences. So about two years ago, you know, I basically went full circle and, you know, in the next hire, I was going to be, hey, then we're going to run my defense, you know, call what I want. You can come in and take it and adjust it slightly, but you're not bringing your defense in. You're not using your terminology, nothing. And we had two really good seasons in a row. So I do feel like it's important that the team 
has the personality of, of the head coach, and that's on offense and defense and special teams, that I got my hands involved and that I'm able to really, in my opinion, just help and assist. You know, I watch a lot of video. I study it. Uh, I know what hurts us. I know what hurts other offenses. So it's important that you give that information to your defensive coaches. It's important that they hear what makes us uncomfortable and what doesn't. Uh, I just think if there's more voices in a room, whether it's mine, whether it's the defense coordinator, whether you know the one year we had our most success, we had three defense coordinators, where it's more guys that are invested, then you're not pointing fingers at others when things don't go wrong. You feel like, no, we, we all sat in here and we try to figure this out. Let's try to fix it from here. So I just think we had better results when I, me or the head coach is even more involved. And last question. Um, you didn't get to play when the Governor's Cup restarted in 94. You had just graduated. But uh, there's talk with, with the SEC. They're standing pat at eight games now, but they may expand to nine. And there's talk that from a Kentucky perspective, then it might not be conducive to them playing this game every year if not just discontinuing it, you know, for the foreseeable future. How important is it from your perspective that that game is played and what, what does it do for football in the, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky? Well, I think it's vital that it continues to be played. It's a great rivalry. Um, and while things haven't gone our way lately, it's, it's a great game to play. All your fan base, uh, half the time they only know each other, they might live in the same neighborhood. A lot of your players may grew up together as well. Uh, and it provides uh, you know, great atmosphere uh, for college football or college basketball. So I hope we continue that rivalry for forever, uh, no matter how many conference games you have. You know, I'm a big component in playing as many uh, Power Five or top teams that you can on your schedule. That's what fans want to see. That's what fans want to be a part of. And while no, I don't know if that's what it's going to go to, I do think that uh, without question the rivalry game should stay uh, for as long as uh, I'm a part of it. That'll do it for Episode 1. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast. Download it when you go for a jog or a workout. Play it in your car during that commute to work or play it on your Sonos while you're cooking in the kitchen. And if you have an idea of a topic or a guest you'd like to hear in future episodes, shoot me an email at clbrown1 at gannett.com. That's clbrown, the number one, at gannett.com. Otherwise, just hang tight and catch me next week. 